Hi, this is Sarah O'Connell. And this is Jonah Trebowasser. Welcome back to another edition of Radio Rotary, made possible by Rotary District 7210. Each week we chat with your neighbors about great things happening in your community and around the world. People who live by Rotary's motto of service above self. And today our special guest is William Schlesinger, President biogeochemist of the Cary Institute of Ecosystem Studies in Millbrook, New York. Great and to well, be here. Welcome, Dr. Bill or Dr. William. Which would you prefer? You would, which, oh, which would you prefer? Bill's fine for the Well, for the Dr. Program. Bill, the most impressive <laughs> thing other than your credentials is the fact Bio that, Sarah, that Sarah could say biogeochemist <laughs> this early in the morning. So, That's a um, fancy word for environmental chemist. Well, so, <laughs> Dr. Dr. Bill, uh, tell us, what is the Cary Institute? The Cary Institute in, in Millbrook is a private, independent, environmental think tank uh, and research institute that studies environmental problems, uh, both regionally and nationally, sometimes even globally. And what could, what do you do over there at the Cary Institute? Well, I'm president of it, so I do a lot of administration, but in the allocation of time I have for science, uh, I pursue questions of environmental chemistry, how we're altering the environment with human activities. You know, the, the, the environment now is big news uh, across the board. You've got uh, global warming, which some people uh, consider a myth and some people consider a very serious problem. We have the recently capped uh, BP oil spill True. Uh, uh, pump, the oil uh, well down in uh, Louisiana. And um, I won't say New Orleans because Sarah gets it's very... It's a Lafouche parish anyway. Yes, yes. Sarah it's gets not in New Orleans, by the way. She gets very mad because I don't say New Orleans right. Um, and a whole host of issues, air pollution, water pollution, landfills. Um, carbon it, footprint. Yeah, right. It seems like it's footprint. almost too big a topic for any one person or one organization to cover. So how does the Cary Institute look into these, and, and what do you do about it? Well, of course, we try to pick and choose our issues, and we start with issues that are regional in the sense of New England, mid-Atlantic states, uh, things that are important to, in particular, the Hudson Valley and the state of New York. Uh, those include the health and growth of our forests, uh, which of course determines how much carbon dioxide they're taking up from the atmosphere. Uh, so that research has implications for carbon cycling and climate change. You might want to explain just a second before you leave that how photosynthesis works, because that's what we're talking about. Absolutely. The, a green plant, as you see it out in your garden or along the roadside, is taking carbon dioxide from the atmosphere, uh, taking water from the soil, and using those to produce two things. One is carbohydrate that it uses for growth, and the other is oxygen that it releases to the atmosphere. That was a, a great science fair project, photosynthesis. When the I was miracle, in middle school, right? That's how you know about it, Jonah. Well, also from the fact my that I, from my also uh, the fact science that I spent project. 25 years with New York State Environmental Conservation Department and sort of know about some environmental issues. Uh huh. But of course, in my day, we didn't discuss uh, and. Middle school, we didn't discuss plants. We discussed rocks and you dinosaurs. Well, rocks and dinosaurs. If you haven't noticed, because Jonah's from the dinosaur age. <laughs> no offense, <laughs> Dr. Slicer. Well, nothing oh. wrong with rocks and dinosaurs either. Right. Uh, they actually but you don't study those at uh, Cary, do you? We don't study dinosaurs you at all. We do study the breakdown of rocks as uh, it's affected by acid rain, uh, rock weathering, we call that. And, and uh, you discuss worms. You study worms. We have because we've had Dr. Peter Grossman here That's on right. the show as well. Right. He's our expert on worm ecology and we decided worms. we the people are the worms of the environment. 
as far as the the way worms operate in the soil, mm-hmm. how they churn up the soil. That was our conclusion, well, our takeaway. That's probably good if you're uh, churning the minds of a radio audience. Uh, right. Oh, there you go. How about well, that? Oh, my gosh, you're a Segway king, too. He's a natural Segwayer. <laughs> and we're I talking just, to Dr. Uh, Bill Schlesinger so, of the Cary Institute, and we were talking about photosynthesis. We were. And, and the fact that the trees capture the carbon dioxide that we're pumping out through the use of uh, petrochemicals and, and, and carbon-based fuels. And, and it's a, just just for people's um, edification here. Uh, most people, th- well, I've certainly thought this for a long time. The Cary Institute was limited to the area that it's in, Millbrook, and it's a much bigger uh, research resource than that. You touched on that at the top of the show a little bit, and oh, or because I I live um, outside of Millbrook, so um, where the institute is located. Or that it was limited to the studies of the the river of the right. Hudson River. That that, from a regional standpoint, is how most people identify the work that you're doing. But it's much like you you, you indicated global work that you're doing things that affect scientific studies on a bigger scale. So, so tell us some a uh, few so, of the other things, Doctor Schlesinger, that you're handling besides um, you know carbon footprints and global warming. Right. Well, on our uh, grounds in Millbrook, we have. Uh, research, uh, long-time research going Which are on. open to the public. Open but, to the public mm-hmm. during the daylight hours uh, to study the, uh, the causes, effects, uh, epidemiology, we call it, of Lyme disease uh, and West Which Nile virus. Which is big, big. It's, we're very close to the epicenter of Lyme disease of eastern North America. Um, studying uh, how Lyme disease risk in any particular year is often related to the mouse population of the year before, which itself Wait a is minute, real, to the mouse? Right. Mice, yeah. mice are uh, the most important uh, mammal host for ticks. Uh, so you often have a sequence where a good year for oak trees produces lots of acorns. The next year you get lots of mice. The third year you have lots of ticks uh, biting humans. Because well, most gl- people blame the deer. Yeah, right. I'm glad right. you said something about that because most people assume it comes from the deer. Well, that is a, a, a misconception out there. I know I'm not saying deer are totally uninvolved. But relatively speaking, uh, the white-footed mouse is the most important alternative host. The white-footed white-footed mouse mouse is uh, one of the dominant mice species in the litter, the the dead leaves in the forests of uh, Hudson Valley. And their color is because they come in different colors. Well, Just brown on the top, and then they have white feet. Little white paws. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, we do have branching out a little bit. We do have a significant and uh, long history of work on the Hudson River. Now, I want to st- say that uh, our work on wetlands and rivers often begins in the upland with the very s- uh, smallest uh, rivulet of water running out of the forest, joining together, forming a stream, joins with another stream, forms a river, um, and ends up in the Hudson. And the Hudson. So we find that the only way to really understand a river like the Hudson is in the context of the whole landscape. And our workers, we have about four of our staff that have specialized on rivers over the years. One of which is in my Rotary Club, actually, Uh, Heather Malcolm. Absolutely. She's in the river all summer. An outstanding Rotarian. She is an outstanding Rotarian. Now, Dr. Bill Schlesinger of the Cary Institute, you mentioned wetlands. And, of course, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, when they were called swamps, nobody liked them. Right. You know, we drained the swamps, get rid of those mosquitoes that brought yellow fever, and, you know, we built I, the homes. I, of course, am offended by that concept. Well, I'm sorry about that, sweetheart. Being from swamp land. I know, I know. You're, this is Sarah the Swamp Girl. But anyway, um, we drained them. 
we built houses, we built shopping centers, we built uh, parking lots on swamps. And when we found out that they were important for natural flood control and also uh, filtering pollutants, then they became wetlands our friends. How many? How much of the wetlands in the United States have we lost recently? Oh, easily more than half. Well, recently. I wow. Uh, more than half. By natural from, occurrence from or by by people mucking around and oh, trying to control the environment? Human, human uh, muck. Decisions mm-hmm. to either fill or drain wetlands. Now, of course, the majority of the wetlands were in the southeastern coastal plain, southeastern states. Uh, but the northeastern states and the Hudson Valley is, was not immune to those kinds of attitudes. I grew up in Cleveland, and I remember the whole time I was growing up, the idea of filling the shores of Lake Erie to gain more land. You know, everybody thought that was great. Uh, now we realize that those coastal areas in a lake like Lake Erie are really important, important. for fish reproduction uh, and for the filtering of waters that are about to enter the lake. They pass through those, those uh, coastlines. Um, and there's a lot of bacterial reactions that actually clean them up. So how did you make it out to the East Coast? Was it professional? Did you go to school here I was professionally? A, yeah, I was in college and graduate school in the Northeast. And When we were living in Cleveland, though, we, we didn't really think we were in the Wild West. Uh, you didn't? You know. <laughs> New York <laughs> many, wasn't that far away. <laughs> how, many, uh, how many scientists how, um, and staff do you have um, at Cary? We have 16 permanent scientists. We have another... By that, I mean doctoral, Ph.D. Uh, scientists. <clears throat> we have another five or six at any given time that are visiting. And the overall staff is about 100. That includes uh, technicians that are working with the scientists and doing field research with them. Um, our, of course, uh, accounting, bookkeeping, communications, development, all those folks, and then grounds. So what, what part of the Institute of the Research area is open to the public because it is a beautiful beautiful landscape right we have 2,000 acres of uh landscape uh the public is welcome in daylight hours on any of the paved trails um they're welcome on some of the hiking trails without uh, dirt bikes but uh certainly walking and uh we we have a lot of brochures to help guide the visit. And Dr. Bill Sussinger of the Cary Institute, right after our break, will have you tell the public how they can get more information about the Cary Institute and come uh, look at your beautiful facilities and perhaps learn a little bit about the environment. But right now, let me remind our listeners, they're in tune with Radio Rotary right here on Hudson Valley Talk Radio. My name's Jonah Trebois, and my co-host is the effervescent swamp girl, Miss Sarah O'Connell. And tell us, Sarah, who brings us Radio Rotary this week? Radio Rotary is sponsored by our Rotary District 7210 and the Rotary Clubs of Arlington, Blooming Grove, Washingtonville, Carmel, Chestnut Rotary, Chestnut Ridge, Congers Valley Cottage, Fishkill, Highland, Hyde Park, Kingston, Kingston Sunrise, and LaGrange. And we'll be back with more Radio Rotary after these important messages. The 1,200,000 women and men of Rotary have accomplished extraordinary things. They've taught millions of people to read worked toward world peace, and have nearly eradicated a crippling childhood disease from the face of the planet. But each of those 1,200,000 women and men know they could accomplish so much more, if only they were 1,200,000 and one. Find out what an impact one person can make. Learn about Rotary at rotary.org. For information about Rotary in the Hudson Valley, visit www.rotarydistrict7210.org. Hudson Valley Talk Radio. 
Radio Rotary is brought to you by Beech Grove Technology, providing natural dietary supplements for a healthier life. Beech Grove Technology's herbal supplements are uniquely designed to prevent premature aging, eye problems, and weight loss. Beech Grove Technology is now featuring its latest natural product, cultivated American wild ginseng. So take charge of your life with Beech Grove Technology's safe natural products. Visit bgtsupplements.com or call 800-861-4933. That's bgtsupplements.com, 800-861-4933. It's Ribfest time. The Highland Rotary Club invites you to their fabulous Hudson Valley Ribfest at the Ulster County Fairgrounds in New Paltz on Saturday and Sunday, August 21st and 22nd, starting at 11 a.m. both days. The Hudson Valley Ribfest features barbecue foods, live entertainment, lots of vendors, and this year, a NASCAR show car simulator and children's activities. Admission is just $5. Children 12 and under are free, and there is plenty of free parking. For more information, go to HudsonValleyRibFest.org. That's HudsonValleyRibFest.org. Hi, I'm Sarah O'Connell, and welcome back to this edition of Radio Rotary. I am joined by my co-host, the troublemaking... Jonah Trebowasser, and uh, FYI. Unfortunately, they can't see the halo over my head in radio. Well, with the horns sticking right up. Ah, ha, ha. And FYI, that would be Swamp Debutante. The Swamp Debutante, Miss Sarah O'Connell. To you, yes. Yes, dear. Um, By the way, we do have a guest in the studio. We do. And it is the uh, fascinating, obviously uh, brilliant, Dr. Um, William Schlesinger, who is the president. He is a biogeochemist of the Cary Institute of Eco... System Studies, located in Millbrook, New York, not too far from where I reside. And also, I'm a member of the Millbrook Rotary Club, and we have um, some members of our club are employed by the Cary Institute, and we've uh, interviewed people from the Institute. But what's fascinating to me is that the, the, the resources and the research that go on there are much broader and much, it's much bigger than what people in the community, such as I, assume that it is. Our focus has been, or our thoughts have, our assumption has been that it's mostly on your, on the, um, the forestry in the area. And, um, quite frankly, the river, the Hudson River and things that are attached to it. But we start talking about other topics. And where do we leave off? We were talking a little bit about uh, photosynthesis and global warming and how the trees uh, absorb the carbon dioxide and give us beautiful oxygen and sugars to eat in our salads. And um, uh, Dr. Bill was about to talk about a few other items. Uh, the oil spill, for example, down in um, uh, the, the BP oil spill. Lafouche um, Parish. Yeah, right. Uh, what, well, what kind mercifully, of, it looks like they've yeah. got that capped. And uh, as of uh, today, it's capped, of course, by the surface uh, structure they put over the top. Uh, soon they will have the well intercept uh, the original blown-out well, and that may pr- provide a c- permanent cap to it. But is that the kind of issue, uh, those what kind of water pollution, oil spill issues that the uh, Cary Institute gets involved in? Uh, we don't work down in the Gulf of Mexico, per right. se, but we do work a- and consider various sources of energy for society. You know, anytime I see something like the, the deep uh, water oil uh, blowout in the Gulf, the first thing I say to myself, well, what's the cause of that? Well, it's it's you and me and all of our friends and neighbors uh, that are demanding liquid petroleum for our driving and our driving habit. 
and so if we really want to get at the base of why are we in the Gulf, why are we drilling for oil in such a dangerous uh, location at, at a mi- in a mile of water, for instance, um, it really comes to resource uses. And one of the things that we do at Cary is to think about various uh, alternative forms of energy. Uh, we've been uh, looking, Charlie Canham in particular on our staff, at uh, the role that forests and, and what we call woody biomass mm-hmm. uh, may play in the Northeast as a substitute for fossil energy. Well, now let's, let's talk a little bit about fossil fuels. Now, fossil fuels were created over the untold millennia by squishing dead dinosaurs and plants into coal and oil. And obviously it takes a long time for that to happen, and we're going to use it all up at some point because there's right. no more squished dead dinosaurs down there. And an astounding fact is that although we only have 5% of the population here in North America between the United States and Canada, we use 25% of the world's oil because we don't want to put on a sweater. We'd rather just put up the thermostat. We don't want to you know, carpool. We'd rather just take big cars one at a time You know, here, there, and everywhere. We don't have a lot of good public transportation. Uh, what's the Cary Institute doing about that? Well, again, we talk about alternatives now, and we also try to, to uh, have a number of public education programs in the local area. Uh, to uh, to make people realize the link between the fact that we're digging carbon fossil carbon out of the surface of the earth, bringing it to the surface and burning it, uh, that that is a totally unnatural human act uh, that's affecting our atmosphere. Yeah, it's a double whammy. We're running out of the carbon fuels and we're put adding carbon right. to the atmosphere, and that causes uh, what we call global warming or climate change. Right. Now, of course, we got on that bandwagon because fossil fuels were very inexpensive. In fact, I find it amazing uh, that uh, somebody could drill a mile or two in the earth, uh, maybe halfway around the world, uh, extract a liquid, uh, pump it up to the surface, uh, refine it, and deliver it to you and me for less than the price of a gallon of milk or a gallon of uh, of uh, bottled water. And a big chunk of that is actually taxes, so the actual product price is even less than we think. Right. Now... We've been uh, we've grown up on that diet of, of inexpensive fossil fuels, and uh, I believe that's going to change fairly dramatically fairly soon as the easily accessible sources of fossil fuels are tapped out. I don't think we'll come to a day when when uh, you go to the gas station and there's nothing there, and, and they say don't ever come back; it's gone. Uh, I, but I believe that uh, as we are in the downside of production. Uh, the price will increase dramatically. It'll be $10 a gallon. Well, it's just about that in Europe now. I mean, they have have tremendous taxes, taxes, but they they pour those taxes into public transportation. Uh, And and their lifestyle is different as a result. So back to the Cary Institute. What we're trying to do is is to uh, alert people to uh, the need for a transition to alternative and renewable sources of energy. Uh, if I was in Tucson, I'd probably be pushing solar solar panels. If I was in North Dakota, I'd probably be pushing wind power. If I was in Maine, I'd be thinking about tidal power. Uh, but here in New England and the Hudson River Valley, one thing we have a lot of uh, is is forests. Uh, they grow uh, fairly well here. Uh, actually, our native uh, forest products industry is kind of moribund right now, mm-hmm. um, and uh, there's a lot of interest and some controversy, I'm not saying it's without problems, uh, to think about uh, a rejuvenation of that industry 
to provide biomass energy, which would be renewable. Uh, this is a chance where work that we might do and others might do as environmental scientists uh, will get us out in front of the curve. Uh, and, and we could recommend how to do it best before the problems appear. Now, when you talk about biomass, uh, you're talking about uh, p- plant products, and are you talking about converting that into ethanol? or? And how, w- how yeah. would that process happen? Well, I mean, you so have the forest, several. and then you get it to energy. What goes on in between? Right. Okay, well, there's several pathways there. I mean, you could burn woody biomass uh, directly instead of coal for instance, in in power plants. It doesn't have the energy content per unit weight that coal does, uh, but it has a lot of advantages. It's renewable, it's close by. uh, And it's more quickly renewable. More quickly, yeah, right. A lot of coal is 300 million years old um, and uh, has lesser contents of some of the the, uh, problematic air pollutants like Mm -hmm. mercury. Um, You could also take uh, woody biomass, chop it up into fine pieces, uh, and essentially ferment it uh, to pervert, produce ethanol. And that's a liquid That'd fuel a liquid that fuel. you can put in the back of your car. Absolutely. Uh, the process for that is not uh, well worked yet. It's uh, There's a lot of research to be done on that. And to controversy, make... isn't there? Well, there's some controversy. Uh, the controversy largely revolves around agricultural crops uh, being used to produce ethanol as to whether or not you use more energy growing and producing the crop than the ethanol that you distill that from it. produced to, from it. Yeah. And I think corn, corn ethanol is highly questionable. And it's been environmental research. Mm-hmm. Not, uh, That's all, the one we hear the most about. Uh, it's been pushed by uh, you know the, some of the big agro industries in the Midwest uh, and Midwestern farmers that this is – the solution to the nation's problems if it's uh, homegrown and uh, all of that renewable. Um, but these all need to be evaluated because mm-hmm. if you're using lots of pesticides and herbicides and fertilizer and pumping irrigation water, all of those are... are trickle down. It's a trickle down. Well, they all have, uh, they all have fossil fuels behind them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so you can use more fossil fuels in the process of growing a gallon of ethanol than, than the energy the ethanol contains. And that's the kind of science that we can evaluate. We're beginning to do that with northeastern biomass. And I hope we're able to produce uh, very useful and, and telling uh, analyses of how well it will be received. Now, Dr. Bill Schlesinger of the Cary Institute, in the minute or so we have left, uh, we've laid out a lot of problems for our listeners, uh, global warming, use of fossil fuels, air pollution, water pollution, um, landfills, recycling. What can the average person do? And tell us about the educational programs and and how they can enjoy the grounds of the Cary Institute. Okay, so three or four things. You know, the old reduce, reuse, recycle is not far off the mark. I'm going to stress the reduce uh, part of that. Uh, Any amount of uh, reduced mileage of driving that an individual does will ultimately uh, produce uh, less carbon dioxide, less air pollution into the atmosphere, uh, and leave a better environment for us. It also lowers demand for exploration of oil in in difficult and dangerous places. Uh, As for uh, our educational programs and how to get involved with the Cary Institute, our grounds, I said, are open, uh, daylight hours. Can we have a contact number? 
uh, the, site, the uh, six seven seven seventy six hundred. That's eight four five. Eight four five. Say that again. Eight four five six seven seven seventy six hundred will get you to our front desk. Uh, we're open essentially from April one to November one uh, for hiking and visiting. Uh, we have a number of kiosks and trail brochures and and uh, interpretive displays on the grounds, and we encourage right when you step out of the car. Right, and so. it talks about our science. Well, Dr. Bill Sessinger of the Cary Institute, thank you so much for joining us on Radio Rotary, and we'd love to have you back sometime. No, it's been fun, and look forward to hearing it. And Sarah, who do we have to thank for bringing us Radio Rotary this week? Well, Jonah, Radio Rotary is brought to us by our Rotary District 7210 and the clubs of Millbrook, Newburgh, New Paltz, New Windsor, Cornwall, North Rockland, Pleasant Valley, Port Jervis, Poughkeepsie, Red Hook, Rhinebeck, and Southern Ulster. For Sarah O'Connell, this is Jonah Trebowasser thanking you for tuning in and inviting you to join us again next Friday morning at 9 for another edition of Radio Rotary right here on Hudson Valley Talk Radio. What would you do if a friend, coworker, or a loved one collapsed? Calling 911 alone will not be enough. Over 1,000 people a day die from sudden cardiac arrest. Many can be saved with early intervention. HealthSave offers CPR courses on a daily basis at our facility in Rockland County. We'll come to your home or business if you prefer. Call us toll-free at 877-277-6233. That's 877-277-6233. Or visit our website at healthsave.com. That's H-E-A-L-T-H-S-A-V.com. Leave the E off of save for emergencies. CPR training is for everyone. Learn CPR. Become a lifesaver. Join us for the 23rd annual Tour de Goshen Bicycle Ride, sponsored by Goshen Rotary and Joe Fixits. August 15th, starting at 8 a.m., all ages are welcome. It's not a race, it's a bike tour with surprises along the way. All riders receive a free Tour de Goshen t-shirt. Following the ride, enjoy pasta, pizza, salads, hot dogs, and so much more. Proceeds benefit the Winslow Therapeutic Center, Healing with Horses. For more information, call Dr. Carey at 845-341-3648. That's 845-341-3648.